Welcome to another Monday Mailbag. Blue Jackets Monday Mailbag for you. Coming to you from Southern California today, which means that this music just doesn't sound right. It's just, there's just something about it. Hold on. Let me see if I can, let me see if I can do something a little bit better with this. Yeah. That is much better. Much better. Coming to you from what yesterday was beautiful Marina Del Rey, and today is, well, today is not. And I know. You don't want to hear how nice and beautiful it is out here, so I won't tell you because it's not today. It's really not. It is raining. It's another one of those big rainstorms, I guess, coming in off the ocean today. So, uh, you know, woe is me, right? Woe is me. All right, welcome to this uh, Blue Jackets Monday mailbag. As the Blue Jackets are coming into the games against the LA Kings tomorrow night and the Anaheim Ducks on Wednesday night, a little back-to-back set. Uh, coming off a win in San Jose, a very exciting win for the Blue Jackets because they were in a 3-3 tie with the Sharks until there were 12.9 seconds remaining in the third period. Boone Jenner was able to get the Blue Jackets a goal, and they win the game. So they win the first leg of this three-game California road trip, and what an exciting one it was. And who would have thought that they were going to win that game the way that things started off for the Blue Jackets? In the first period, Johnny Gaudreau had not one, not two, but three breakaway opportunities, and he couldn't bury any of them. And it was a very frustrating thing for Johnny Gaudreau. But when the night was over, he had three assists, and he still had a good game. So imagine that. But uh, that first period, uh, the Blue Jackets had a wealth of chances to put themselves out in front by a bunch against the San Jose Sharks. They couldn't do it. You know, it's funny when you look at the the Sharks and, well, same way that uh, the Sharks fans are looking at the Blue Jackets, you look at the standings and you go, well, this team isn't very good and this should be a a good game for us. Well, the Sharks had just gone into Calgary and beat up on the Flames on Thursday night. So it's not that they're – look, they're not a hugely talented team. In fact – When you compare the rosters, the Blue Jackets had the better roster. There's no doubt about that. But it's about the way that roster plays, right? So uh, they played hard. They gave the Blue Jackets a run. But at the end, it was Boone Jenner making the difference. And what a surprise that is. It's no surprise if you're a Blue Jackets fan. Because Boone Jenner always is a difference maker every time he gets on the ice. You know, somebody said to me the other day, that here was the question. Has Boone Jenner ever had a bad game or does he ever have a bad game and I thought about it for about two seconds and I said no no he doesn't I mean there are games where Boone won't pick up any points and but there is I don't remember getting done with the game that the Blue Jackets lost and thinking to myself well Boone Jenner turned the puck over no less than three times in that game, or Boone took two bad penalties, or, you know, Boone made a, a terrible clearing pass, or he was, I never think that. Never, ever, ever. Because it just simply doesn't happen. I mean, he just does the job. Day in, day out, night in, night out. He just gets the job done. And he did it again the other night. And this is where, you know, his name is being thrown around a lot because of the trade deadline, because of the position that the Blue Jackets are in and the value 
that he could bring in a deal, the value that he has in the eyes of other teams and all of that stuff. And, you know, sometimes when those things happen, you know, players, they hear about it, they read it, they know what's going on, they know what people are saying, and it affects them. And, and it, it kind of bleeds into their game and, and what they're doing. And maybe they try to do too much, or maybe they're worried about, you know, off-ice things. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get traded. I don't want to have to move my family somewhere. I don't, and then there's the other extreme, right? There are players that are in a situation where they're thinking, yeah, I'd like to get out of here. I'd like to go to a contending team. So it, it does happen. I mean, it's human nature where it happens to people and it affects them. But what affects Boone Jenner? I don't know. I simply don't know. It doesn't seem like anything does. He just goes out, and he's the same guy night in and night out. And that is why he is a highly coveted player. That is why that he has so much respect around the league, just the way he is and what he does and how he plays night in and night out. And for Boone, I think he knows he's not going absolutely anywhere. So he's just going to keep on playing his game. Nothing's going to affect him anyway. But that was a that was a big win for the Blue Jackets. There's no doubt about it. That was a a nice win for them. Uh, Yegor Chinikov got back into the lineup. The Russian line got reassembled. Uh, two thirds of them got goals as uh, Marchenko and Voronkov got goals in that game. Zach Wierenski had his first goal in what 38 games. So there were a lot of good things that happened for the Blue Jackets in that one against San Jose on Saturday night. And now after a couple of days to uh, regroup. They had the day off yesterday, practice day today, and then back-to-back games. Kings, Ducks, Tuesday, Wednesday, before heading back home to Nationwide Arena and playing on Friday and Sunday. So, uh, you know, there have been breaks in the schedule. There have been gaps in the schedule. But right now, it's going to get busy. It's going to get very busy. So, they'll be ready. There's no doubt. They'll be ready for it. And they've been feeling good the last couple of days and – It'll be good to get back on the ice tomorrow night and see what they could do against the Kings, a Kings team that has just spent a lot of time on the East Coast. They played in Pittsburgh yesterday. They spoiled Yarmir Yager's number retirement ceremony by winning 2-1 to one over the Penguins. So they're coming back from the East Coast. The Blue Jackets have been sitting here and waiting for them. We'll see if that plays in in any way, shape, or form. If you have questions for me, if you haven't already sent it to me on X or Twitter, uh, you can do that by sending your question to me at Bobby Mac Sports. If you're joining me live on Spaces right now, then you are welcome to request to be a speaker. And once you do that, I can bring you on the show and we can chat. We can just simply chat. All right. Also, uh, I, you know, I guess I'm bearing the lead. I'm talking about the last game, but the, the Blue Jackets did make a change at the top of their, uh, not the top of their management group, but near the top of their management group because the top is uh, John Davidson, the president of hockey operations. He decided, along with uh, the man- or the ownership of the team, that uh, Jarmo Kekalainen would be relieved of his duties. That happened right before the team left for this road trip. A very tough decision. I had a long interview with uh, John Davidson uh, that we ran on the radio broadcast on Saturday night about that uh, decision, how tough it was, um, you know, because there's, there's, you know, when it comes to hockey, I guess there gets to a point, and J.D. said this, you know, you, you you come to a place where you're like, this is no longer working, and we know it's no longer working, you know it's no longer working, so we have to make a change here. So that's that's the hockey aspect of it, but there's a personal aspect of it. I mean, John Davidson and Yarmo Kekalainen worked together with the St. Louis Blues before Yarmo was brought into Columbus to be the general manager, first European general manager, 
ever in the National Hockey League, and he spent 11 years here, and he did some really good things. But at the end, uh, there were just some things that were out of line, and so the Blue Jackets decided to make a change at that position, and so uh, the search is on for the next general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets, and that's been a lot of uh, a lot of talk around the hockey world, as it always is when a general manager position is open, but uh, this is a very attractive one, and everybody's saying the same thing about that, and it's attractive for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, the roster on this team, this is not a bad roster, okay? Uh, it needs tweaks. It needs some adjustments, but there is talent here, and I guess more importantly, there is talent coming within the minor league system of the Blue Jackets. You know, you look at the Cleveland Monsters who have been playing uh, very well throughout the entire season, uh, sitting at or near the top of their division. they got a long way to go, obviously. I mean, if you want to win a Calder Cup in the American Hockey League, it's a grind, just like it is to win the Stanley Cup here. So they've got a long way to go, but there are a lot of pieces there, and there are some guys that you know are going to be a part of the Blue Jackets and potentially be part of the Blue Jackets for a long, long time. So there's that aspect of it. So you, you know you have some players. You know you have something to deal with uh, when you first come in the door. Um, and Columbus, I mean, it's, it is a great city. Uh, we all know that. I, I hate talking about that sometimes because I, you don't need to sell this city. You really don't. I mean, just come in. You, you can figure it out in about 10 minutes. You know, even the visiting players, I always tell you that I judge cities by the hotel, the restaurants around the hotel and the arena, right? So if you're going by that criteria alone, people that come into Columbus for National Hockey League games that work for other organizations, they already know that because there's great hotels and they're right by the rink. There's plenty of restaurants right there in the short north. And then the arena, we know about the arena, right? It's a building that's over 20 years old that looks like it might have been built uh, two or three years ago. So they all know that. And then when you, you get in and you, you know, then you find out about all the other great things in town. But listen, it's people say it's a sleeper. It's not as much of a sleeper as you may think because people know. People know how good it is. And I'll tell you what other potential general managers absolutely know is that it is a potential juggernaut. And what I mean by that is there is a fan base, a rabid fan base. Uh, there are great sports fans in Columbus. Uh, it's it's going to boom. When you win with the Blue Jackets consistently and you're making serious runs at the Stanley Cup, it is going to absolutely boom. And everybody knows that. Everybody in the league knows that. So it's a really attractive job. And as J.D. said and as other people have said, there are 32 jobs in the entire world. So that makes it attractive, right? I mean, let's be honest. If it was, if there was a job open with the absolute worst team in the league who had no chance it was going to be a 10-year rebuild and there wasn't much hope at all, people would still be clamoring for the job because there are 32 jobs in the world. But this is not that situation. This is a good situation. This is a situation where somebody could become uh, could be coming in and could be set up relatively quickly, I think. I think that's fair to say. I, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say if somebody comes in in uh, April or May or June that all of a sudden this team becomes a playoff team next year. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not ready to say that right now. But do I think it will be a playoff team very soon? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe it would be next year. Who knows? Depends on the moves that are made and the, the new guys that come in and 
how quickly they adapt to the league and all that stuff. So, you know, it's possible. So it's very attractive, very, very attractive. And it'll be interesting to watch this uh, process as it goes along. And I know that there are names out there, and there are some names that are getting more noise than other names. Uh, like here's – I've got a question here on X. Uh, James Britcher says, is Mark Hunter the current front runner for Yarmo to be Yarmo's replacement? Look, you're going to hear a lot of names in a lot of different situations, a lot of things. First of all, the answer is I don't know, and I don't want to know. It doesn't matter to me. I don't, I don't care about who a front runner is. I care about who the final decision guy is, right? Because there are going to be a lot of great guys uh, that are in search of this position. There are going to be a lot of people with a lot of uh, great potential, and th- and you're going to get all kinds. You're going to get uh, people with a lot of experience. You're going to get uh, people that have – former general manager experience in the National Hockey League. You're going to have uh, people that are, you know, maybe they've done a lot of scouting. Maybe they've worked uh, in the league office in some capacity. Uh, They're going to come from all over. So do you want a rookie GM? Do you feel that you can get done what you need to do with a a first-time general manager? Or do you feel that you need somebody that's experienced that can come in and, uh, you know, bring that experience with them and maybe – get it together a little bit faster. Are you of the opinion uh, that a, an experienced guy might be able to get it together a little bit faster? That's really what it comes down to. That's that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a fit, right? And maybe, you know, it's very possible you go into these searches and and you're thinking to yourself, okay, th- this, is, this is the kind of guy I need. But maybe you interview somebody who you may not be quite sold on. Uh, maybe this guy might not be exactly – what we're looking for right now, but we're going to talk to him because he's a good guy and we're, you know, he's, he's starting to get his names in these circles. And then you talk to that person and you say, you know what, that, that is, I think that is the right person for this job. Cause that's, that's always very possible as well. Like if you've, if you've ever interviewed anybody in your workplace, if you've ever been part of an interview process, you know, I've had it happen where we go in and we have a list of people and, and we're saying to ourselves, all right, we have them ranked, right? This is here's what we think. I think this, 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 this. We're gonna have five people. Okay, here's how they're ranked: one through five. I have easily had it where the five person has shown through and has gotten hired. It's, it just happens. That's why you interview people. That's why you try to get to know people and find out about them and and all that stuff. So uh, again, it's going to be you're just looking for a fit. You're looking for somebody that you feels feel that fits your organization uh, to a T and they're going to be able to get the job done. And again, going to be able to get it done quickly. That doesn't mean a rush job. That just means, you know, what's your plan? And that's what they'll ask. That's, that's what, you know, if you're coming in to interview for this job, you're going to bring a plan with you and you're going to say, here's how I see it. Here's, here's your roster. And here's who I see as being the really important pieces of your roster. Uh, here are the expendables. Uh, here's what I think I can get, and this is how I would approach it. And and sometimes on that list there might be a guy that you think is very important and uh, somebody thinks that is not as important as you do and makes a case and, you know, hey, I, I think I could get this, this, and this by moving this guy out. That's going to give this guy an opportunity to fill this hole, and I think he's much better suited for it. And it's outside in different perspective. That's really all it is, outside in different perspective. So that's going to go on for a long time, I think. Uh, that's why, again, I, I think you're going to hear a bunch of names, but I don't, I don't expect that this is going to be a quick process at all. I think the year will finish with John Davidson 
acting as the general manager and working together with the staff that he has and, and interviewing people along the way. That That's what I expect. Now, I could be wrong. They could talk to somebody and figure out they're the perfect fit uh, today or tomorrow. But I think this is going to be a process that they're going to go through because they absolutely, positively want to get this thing right. All right, what else do I have here? Again, if you're with me on X Spaces and uh, listening live and you want to ask your question, you can do that. Just request to be a speaker, and I'll bring you up, and we'll talk. Uh, Shane says, besides Jack Roslovic, do you see the front office making other any other moves before the trade deadline, or will they wait until they hire the new general manager? Well, you say besides Roslovic. What, that, that means done deal, he's gone because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent? Again, you have to find a pairing there. And you have to, not only do you have to find a team that wants players, but then they have to be giving you what you want in return for said players. So, look, they're going to make moves if the right move is there. That's what I think. I think that they, uh, they're going to they'll look at it. They'll field calls. Uh, they'll probably make calls. You know, trading, just because you're where you are, you know, doesn't mean that you – you might not make a call and try to get somebody in a certain situation. It's unlikely, but, you know, let's say you just hear somebody's name being bantered about and it's somebody that uh, that you might have an interest in. You can make the call the other way. That's fine. But I'm, I'm saying I think they're going to take all these calls and they're going to figure out um, what teams are offering and what might fit and what is best for the Blue Jackets and, and go from there. If they traded nobody at this point today, as I sit and I talk to you today, if they made zero moves, I would be – not shocked at all. I just wouldn't be. Uh, will they try to do something like a Russell Vick, who's an unrestricted free agent coming up? Probably. But are you going to get the match that you want and all that stuff? It's not. You don't just do it to do it. You got to do what is right. So I, I don't think they're going to wait until they hire a general manager. Uh, I think if they do things before the deadline, it's because the fits were there. They felt that the right fits were there. If they don't do anything uh, before the deadline, then I would say that they felt that the fits just weren't there. So they they will let it go, and, yes, somebody else will deal with it in the future. Uh, Goizon says, I want your opinion on Ivan Provorov. I'm having trouble finding something I like in his game. I feel like whenever he does something good, something as equally bad happens soon thereafter. He also has trouble handling the puck or shooting through blocks, which cancel offensive zone possessions. I think it's been a little bit rough for Ivan here. Uh, as of late, I wouldn't say, look, I, I don't have trouble finding something I like in his game. I, I do, but it's on, it's not every single day. And it's, uh, is it occasional? I don't know, but he's still a guy. Now you're talking about, we were talking about the trade deadline here a moment ago. That's a guy that's going to hold some value, right? Because he's a left-handed shot defenseman. Uh, there will be a, a playoff team that, you know, could use one of those, and they're not looking for a top pair guy. They're looking for a, a middle pair guy, and you know, I think he's a guy that'll that'll draw some attention. But um, yeah, it's he's he's kind of uh, he's kind of eh, meh to me right now. Uh, doesn't mean I don't like him, and doesn't mean I don't think he can be a great player on certain nights. But he's just kind of I think he's kind of stuck in a rut right now. Where um, you know, as you said, there's there's highs and lows, but it all kind of balances out along the way, and uh, which is good. You don't want to be completely low all the time. But um, there's if your if your question is did did you expect to see a more consistent, better player 
then I would say, yeah, yeah, I did. But again, look look where you are. You're on a last place team in the conference, and that, that shouldn't affect the way you play or anything like that. Uh, also, I, I, he played the other night, but man, he got he got racked with that uh, block of the shot in the game uh, in Ottawa on Tuesday. So, you know, he's I'm sure he's not playing at 100 percent right at the moment. Not making an excuse for him. I'm just telling you the truth. Uh, let's get this one from Marcus. What should the Blue Jackets do with Kent Johnson for the rest of the season? Oh, what a question this is! Should they develop him as a center in Cleveland? play center in Columbus, or keep him as a third-line winger. Centers are hard to come by, and it's hard to believe that the Blue Jackets drafted only one to keep him at wing and not really develop. What to do with Kent Johnson? Great question. Uh, didn't play a lot against the Sharks, made a couple of mistakes, and got put on the bench. There's so many different ways to go about this, and that's why I hesitated for a second there, because... You know, part of me says, let the kids play. And I've said that before, let the kids play. But the kids also can't keep making the same mistakes. And I think that's what Kent Johnson does. He keeps making the same mistake. You know, you can make mistakes, but don't make the same one over and over and over. Um, so, and I, I, I don't know what they should do with him. I, you know, this is easy to say in hindsight, honestly. Uh, anybody can do what I'm going to do right now. It's easy to say, I wonder if they should have left him in Cleveland longer and maybe not brought him back up. Now, at the time there were injuries and he had been sent down and was playing really well. I understand all of that. But I wonder if the year check treatment might not have been better for Kent Johnson to leave him there and let him continue to develop and get stronger and all those things they talked about and let him have success. Because right now, he, remember when he first came back from Cleveland? I mean, he was skating really well. He was playing well, and he had confidence. And right now, I don't think he has that same confidence. And how could you after you only play a couple of minutes in a game? And, yes, he's probably wondering a lot of things, too. Like, you know, where do I fit? How do I get better? What do I have to do? I wouldn't doubt that at all. I really wouldn't. So what do they do with him? Great question. I, I think – at the very least, that he should go to Cleveland for a playoff run. I'm, I think he's still eligible that he can go back down and do that. So I would at least do that. But what do you do between now and then? Well, you really don't have any you – you've got one extra forward, right? So what are you going to do? You, you're going to send him down and – are you going to send him down and bring up somebody else? Maybe, that, but that might, be a, that might be a tough pill to swallow there. So I – I'm not sure what to do with him is, is the whole thing. I'm really I'm really not sure. And as far as him playing center, I'm a little confused by that because, yes, they did have him playing center when he went to Cleveland. Well, I say a little confused, but now he comes up here and who's playing center? Well, Boone's playing center. Cole's been playing a better center. Uh, Voronkov is not going to move from center. And then you've got Corrali on the fourth line. Jack Roslovic has already been bumped out of a center spot this year. So of those four guys I mentioned, which one of those are you going to take out of playing center for Kent Johnson to play? Sillinger? Maybe. Maybe that's a guy. But does he deserve to be taken out? No, I don't think he does. And if you're trying to develop him for a, as a bottom six center, um, then let him play the position. It sounds dumb to say there's too many centers to play the position, 
But in when I put it to you that way, isn't that kind of simply how it is? Now, you could say, well, why doesn't Boone play on the wing? Okay, well, then who's going to play with Johnny? Who's the only guy, the only guy that has had sustained success playing center on the line with Johnny Gaudreau? Who is it? Boone Jenner. That's right. Now, Fantilli had some success, and then, well, number one, Jenner came back, and number two, he's hurt, which is probably number one, he's hurt, number two, Jenner came back. So that one, it's we saw a little development there, but not the finished product by any means. But Boone Jenner has just been the guy that works with Johnny Gaudreau. Simple as that. So why would you take him out of that position to put somebody else there? Uh, could Kent Johnson work with Johnny Gaudreau? Maybe. Maybe he could. But when you look at what Boone does that works for Johnny, Boone goes right to the front of the net and scores all of his goals from two to three feet out. And when you look at Kent Johnson, he's not that kind of player. So, it's yeah, it's a tough one. It is a tough one. I think, you know, eventually, Kent Johnson should be a top six guy. But Jody Shelley says this all the time. There's only six positions. And, you know, right now you've got Chinikov and Marchenko, and then you've got uh, Gaudreau and Roslovic. Because Jack is, Jack's played well enough to be on that top line right now. Now, to go back to a previous question, if Roslovic has moved out and is no longer in the equation, then there's an opening there for Kent Johnson. But as it is right now, I think he they do with him what they're doing with him and and hope that he stops making the same mistakes so that they can get him more minutes in the game. I mean, that would be ideal, wouldn't it? It would, it would be ideal for me. That's what I think. All right, let's go live to uh, X Spaces here and hear from Alex, who wants to join today's Blue Jackets Monday mailbag. So, Alex, you need to unmute. If you unmute, I can bring you on. How you doing? Doing good. How you doing, Bob? Good. Good. Well, I got a question for you and a comment, if you don't mind. Sure. And uh, actually, you kind of answered a little bit of the question, but I'll go ahead and give you a chance to expound on it. Uh, Cleveland is doing a really good job this season. It looks like they're headed for a playoff spot, and, well, the Jackets are less likely to make a playoff spot. So do you see the Jackets making any moves to send anybody to Cleveland to give them some experience? Well, I, I think Kent Johnson and Adam Fantilli. I would, I'm would. i a big fan of uh, when Fantilli comes back, sending him down there. I'm not saying you have to do it right away, but there's only going to be maybe 10 games left in the NHL. So uh, even if he plays those – let him go down for the playoffs and play him in the American Hockey League. He just missed eight weeks of development time. You know, if he had played a whole 82-game schedule, then sometimes teams make the argument, well, they've already played a full schedule. They played a lot. Coming right out of college, that's that's a lot to ask, so we're going to let him go ahead and start resting for next year. But he just missed eight weeks, so I I don't know if they're going to do it. I, I, I'd be surprised if they don't do it because that would be a great opportunity for him to get more games in a uh, bigger high-pressure situation. So uh, those are the two guys, I think. Sillinger can't go now. He's he's played uh, so many games yeah. that he'd have to clear waivers. Anybody that has to clear waivers now, you can't send because uh, those are going to be players that the, a team would take the, those guys immediately. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. So and moving on to my comment, uh, of course, fr- uh, was it Friday, Saturday, We it was revealed that Columbus is getting its first outdoor game with the stadium series. 
Yeah, I and, didn't even talk about um, that. Thanks for bringing it up. What an idiot I am, right? I'm talking about winning against San Jose and getting a new GM. I didn't even talk about the outdoor game, which yeah, is absolutely um, huge. Sorry, Alex. Yeah, only, only the biggest news that's happened in the franchise. But yeah, yeah, you yeah, will yeah. forgive me for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, as soon as that was announced, of course, the fans went rabid and started uh, speculating on what the layout is and what the themes are going to be in the uniforms. And while all that is really important, my biggest concern, and it's something that I'll I push for strongly, is we got to have the cannon in the out in the in the shoe. Have to have the cannon. But I would like to see a change. Of course, most fans would know that the uh, the cannon in Nationwide Arena is not an actually in its current configuration is not an actually a functioning cannon. It's got pyro charges down the barrel that shoot the sparks and the flame out, and the percussion charges up in the rafters usually right above my head wherever I sit, so that's fun. I know how but, that um, feels. Oh, yeah. But uh, I would actually like to see a fully functioning cannon in Nationwide Arena. Like a couple of these, uh, the college football teams have cannons that shoot off a black powder charge whenever their team scores. I think given this opportunity to have an outdoor game in the shoe, I would love to see a fully functioning cannon uh, for whenever the Jackets score. That is, uh, that's one of the big things I'd like to push for if anybody out there is listening. So, Oh, they're listening. They're listening, and it is noted. That's a good suggestion, Alex. When did you start thinking about that? Uh, let's see. Was it uh, 2006 they introduced the cannon or something like that? Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> yes, it has. But that's a great suggestion, and uh, I'll make sure. I know people heard it, but I'll make sure that uh, – the people that need to hear it, hear it, and uh, we'll see what happens with it. But I think that's a great suggestion because, yeah, I, I love some of those college football teams that, that set them off uh, on the sidelines there. It's kind of cool. All right. All right. Well, Bob, I thank you for having me on. I All really right. appreciate it. Hey, thanks for your contribution. Thanks, Alex. Have a good day. Oh, you're welcome. You too. All right. Just like that, if you're uh, with me live on X Spaces, you can get on the show just by requesting to be a speaker. Just like Alex did right there. He brought up a really good idea, I think. How about Troy? Troy's requested. He wants to be a part of it. Hello, Troy. Hey, Bob. How's your President's Day going? Oh, yeah. It's a holiday, too, isn't it? Yes, let it let is. me tell you, Troy, here's, here's how my week is going. When it was Friday, I didn't even know what day it was. I had, I had no idea. I didn't remember it was Friday until, honest to God, like 7.30 Friday night. We got back to the hotel and there were so many people in San Jose. We stay in a in a shopping area. It's it's kind of like the the Eastern area back in Columbus. And there, I was like, why are there so many people out tonight? Well, it's Friday night. Didn't even remember. So I, there's no way I could remember today was any kind of holiday, unless I was trying to send something through snail mail or go to the bank. Oh my god. <sighs> You know what? You know, the other day, I should have remembered it because the other day I, I wore a, a black suit, a white shirt, and a red tie. And Pascal, Vin, uh, yeah, um, Pascal Vincent told me I looked like uh, the president. He didn't say which one, but he just told me I looked like the president. So, anyway. That's actually a good compliment. <laughs> Especially if you didn't specify that. You're right. like, you know what? I really like that. Well, <laughs> I won't tell you what I said back to him, but, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> – it's, it's a good compliment, especially if a, a Canadian guy recognizes it, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
I wanted to bring up the outdoor game because actually yesterday I was at the outdoor game, Islanders versus Rangers. It's the first one I've ever been to. I live on Long Island, so it was close, and I got lucky because my friend's dad got a bunch of free tickets, so we all went. Let me ask you one question Uh, before you get into this because I was watching this game. I watched uh, both of those games, both of those outdoor games. As Mm -hmm. a fan, could you read the numbers of the New York Islanders on their jerseys? Uh, Yes. You could? Mm -hmm. Wow, you must have been sitting close. uh, well, yeah, we were. That was luck, the part of the luck of the draw. Okay. We were like eight rows. I mean, obviously there was separation between yeah. like the glass because there were like the uh, small street hockey like things in front of us. But we were like eight rows up from oh, okay. like what would have been the ground. So I was able to see pretty well. And I had my glasses. <laughs> uh, well, both those games I call I, New Jersey. Like who decides to put a black number on a red jersey with no outline on it? Like, and, and yep. then, you know, the Islanders had the the dark blue on the orange. And if I was calling the game, because I think those radio broadcasts got, were up in the press box area. So good luck. Good luck seeing that. That's my thing. Like Alex was talking about having a cannon, a real cannon outside. My thing is whoever designs the jerseys, can you please make sure that we can read the numbers, please? That's all I ask. Make sure you make them so that we can read the numbers. Now I've just hijacked your whole thing, Troy. I'll give it back to you. On the blue jackets jerseys. I think the consensus is, is everyone wants the Canon logo. I don't really think that's a hot take, but what I want to add to that is obviously since the Jersey with the Canon right now is blue, I think what a good base for it would be, would be like, you know, it's not like totally white, but that like off white, that's almost just like, it looks like an eggshell. It's not perfect. Yeah. I feel like that color with like a few blue stripes and the Canon logo, like slightly reimagined would be a grand slam for all the blue jackets fans to make it look old school for the outdoor game. Would that mean that Detroit would have to wear red? <sighs> I would assume pretty so. much. Yeah. Right. Cause you can't have an off white and a white, which I yeah. would be fine with because I'm, I'm old school to white at home and dark on the road. So yeah, I'm a Yankees fan, Bob. I agree with you. I'm, I like the white at home. Yeah. But anyway, how was uh, what? What was your experience like going to that game the, yesterday? The event as a whole, and this is I'm, this is coming from a person who really just enjoyed the outdoor games from TV since I started watching them. The event as a whole is even better being there as a fan. They had like music in between the periods. They were honoring the old Hall of Fame players on stage, and they were talking between periods. And it was a literal zoo, Bob. There was almost 80,000 people there, mostly Rangers fans, but it was an absolute zoo. They played goal horns for both the teams. Uh, I lost my voice like halfway through the game, still recovering from that. As a neutral fan, it was awesome. My friends that I went with were all Islanders fans, so they were devastated by the time the game ended. And uh, really, like, the way that all, like, the little... uh, details of the arena like the things that it was set up like the trees on the lower seats the small street hockey rinks like the grass like really being there it was awesome and there was no viewing problems even for my friends that were one section up that were watching as well because it seemed like everyone in new york went to this thing uh everyone that i that went and i spoke to they had the same experience they were like that was the most fun i've had a hockey game ever Granted, it was a 6-5 overtime game with a fight. So that's probably as exciting you can really get. Plus, it was a zoo outside with people from New York and New Jersey. I'll bet. I'll bet it was. 
for sure. But uh, that's great insight. And, and um, yeah, there are so many things. The NHL has become so good at doing these big events, right? Like sometimes I see some people, and I saw this yesterday, people on social media, these outdoor games have run their course. No, they haven't. No, they no, haven't. They I, have not. I hate to break it to you. They haven't. Uh, the NHL does such a great job, and I know they're going to do a, a great job at Ohio Stadium with it next year. I, um, You know, it's funny you're talking about the, the fans and how they interact. I was sitting at a, uh, a little bar restaurant at uh, Santa Monica Pier yesterday, and I was in a position initially where I couldn't see a TV, and all these people just started, like, cheering and clapping at this one table. It was a full table of Rangers fans decked out in all their gear. Like, right. So here I am in the beach in California, and these people were uh, they, they were dedicated, man. They were there, and they were they were ready to watch that game and have a good time. Yeah, and they're especially with Patrick Waz, the head coach of the Islanders, and you saw early, obviously, because the Islanders basically outshot them two to one until the third period. Like they were, the Islanders really were skating circles around them. And basically had total control of the game and pulled a Columbus Blue Jackets. And uh, you know how that goes, Bob. We've experienced that a lot this year. But there's a lot to look forward to. And I'm really excited. Like, I love everything that Yarmo's done. And I don't think he deserves as much criticism as he got. Just because look at what he's left us with. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, we haven't had prolonged success. But, like, look at all these prospects and great players that we have like still not even at the peak of their performance abilities. So it's like, I think the criticism from him is really just like insane to be honest. Obviously it was time to move on and there needed to be a change, but that's like the truth. Like he scouted, he drafted a lot of these guys. He has emotional connections with a ton of these guys. And it's tough to make tough decisions when you, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You yeah. It, and there's only so much criticism so right now because it's fresh, right? I mean, exactly. you, finished, you finished badly last year. You're expecting better this year. You're going to finish badly again this year. It's it's just all fresh in people's minds. It's all, you know, it, it goes away over time. As they say, time heals all wounds. But it's just, it, it's, it's easy to criticize right now. But it'll be easier in the future to look back and, and say exactly what you just said. Oh, what about this guy? Oh, what about that guy? Oh, what about this? So, yeah, that, that's going to happen. It's just just how it is when it goes down. Yeah, and of course, there's a lot of tough decisions still to be made, but I really think a fresh set of eyes looking at this wealth of prospects and this organization can really, like, really change things quickly, especially because I know we haven't had a ton of success this year entirely, but it's a process driven thing. I know people are annoyed by that word, but to instill the culture to have a big swing in the next season or two, like you have to basically be like, you have to be burned by these bad experiences so bad that you don't fall into the same bad habits. It happens to all these teams. They don't just magically become good. No, they don't. They don't. You're absolutely right. So Troy, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for the insight on the outdoor games. That's uh, that's really appreciated. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right. And have a good President's Day. Thank you. Thanks for reminding me. It's President's Day. <laughs> uh, I did. I forgot. I don't know. Who am I? What do I know? You know, the only time I really knew it was President's Day, anyhow, is when I was in school because it was the last long weekend of the winter, right? The last time you got Monday off until your Easter break. So then I really knew. Then I, I could have I told you in October 
when President's Day was when I was back in school. Now I don't even know what day it is when it's a day. Uh, Peter Claven says, if you had to pick just one thing that was the final straw for Yarmo, what do you think it was? I don't think there is one thing. If I was going to pick one thing, it's not like it just happened overnight. It was inconsistency. I mean, this roster has just been inconsistent. And that includes guys that they went out and they got for in trades and signed big contracts to. And it's just inconsistent is, is the one reason. The, the team just hasn't played like a team enough. And it, to go back to what Troy was just saying, too, um, the criticism. Yeah, there's there's criticism all the time. And, and you look at the, the history of this team in particular – there was a lot of criticism of Doug McClain and what he did and the way that he drafted and all that stuff. But, you know, 20 years later, you can go back and you find the positives. And the positives, like for me with that, was um, maybe not so much the rosters, but what Doug did to, to really be uh, a guy to get into the community and, and just talk about the Blue Jackets all the time and always have that in the forefront and, and and get the team really ingrained in the city. I think looking back on it, I, I tell people all the time, um, at the beginning, I think they needed a carnival barker. And that's not a rip on Doug. I mean, that, he was a, a true proponent of always pushing the Blue Jackets. And did they have the success that he wanted them to? No, they, they didn't. But that never stopped him from pushing the team uh, in the community and, and making it a part of Columbus. That's my feelings. He he did a great job of making it a part of Columbus. When that was over and it was time to move on, Scott Housen comes in, and here's another guy that it's very easy to look at and say, well, he didn't do this right and he didn't do that right. And he's, you know, it, you can pick it apart all you want. But when he left, and I bring this up because of what Troy was just saying about whoever the successor for Yarmo Kekalainen is going to be. When Yarmo Kekalainen came in and took over for Scott Housen, as it turned out, there was a pretty good stable of talent already in place for Yarmo to use, whether it was be as a player, whether it was as a trade piece or whatever. Let's go back to when Cleveland won the Calder Cup in the American Hockey League. Those players were Scott Housen's players, basically. Um, you know, the Nick Felino trade. Scott Housen made that trade. It's, so there there were pieces there. He couldn't get it to work for him enough to keep his job and stay, but somebody new came in and found a way to take those pieces, put them together, maybe separate one or two out and get something else for it and make it work. And the same thing is going to happen here. Like for this week, everybody's going to talk about, you know, Yarmo this and Yarmo that, and he did didn't do this and he didn't do that. And in the future, you're going to look at it and say, you know, hey, um, Stanislav Svozil turns out to be a pretty good defenseman. Uh, you know, I won't say Fantilli because that one's a slam dunk. You're going to take Fantilli. Um, who else? You know, you know, maybe Kent Johnson, you know, gets through this spot that he's in. And you go, man, what a, what a great choice that was. It, you're going to have that. I think you're going to have the, the first-round picks are one thing. It's – it's the lower picks that have turned into something. Vronkov was, what, a fourth-round pick? Marchenko was a second-round pick. So, yeah, he knows how to evaluate talent. No question he knows how to evaluate talent. 
Uh, Ryan asked me about Kent Johnson. I've answered that. Peter says, oh, no, I did Peter. Sorry. Uh, Chris, here we go. Third time's a charm, they say. Uh, setting aside the names of potential general managers, what type of GM do you think the Blue Jackets should bring in? Skill sets, strategy, and urgency. Listen, here's what I think. I think you need to bring somebody in that um, has a great reputation as being a team builder. So if you're getting a guy that's uh, already an experienced, you don't you don't have to have been a, a GM to to do that. By the way, I mean you can be a in an assistant GM position, uh, you could be in some kind of a scouting position, but you you want to be a team builder. You don't want to be a roster builder, okay? And, you know, it, you can put together a, what looks to be a great group on paper, but can they interact and turn into a team? And I think right now that's where this group is. It's a, It looks like a good roster, but it hasn't played as a good team. You know, Patrick Line went healthy has uh, not – he and Johnny Gaudreau just don't mesh for whatever reason. Not the way you think they would on paper, but they just don't. So that's what I'm talking about, building building a team, knowing the uh, the intangibles, somebody that, that can recognize the intangibles of uh, what they need here, right? Uh, hey, I got this guy. He's really skilled. Uh, he's kind of small, but he's really skilled. And, uh, okay, well – I, I got two more of those over here, too, so maybe I can take one of these guys and maybe I can get a, a guy that maybe has some, a little bit more experience, some leadership capability and whatever it is and and put them in place of that. that that's what that's what I think that they should be looking for. So you want you want a, uh, a team builder that recognizes the intangibles that it takes to win and win consistently in the National Hockey League? And I think, I think people skills is a huge, huge thing. I really do. Because in today's world, you've got to be able to talk to everybody. And you have to have a relationship with everybody. I think you have to have a relationship with every player. Some it's going to be more than others, but I, I just think it, it needs to be there. I go back to John Tortorella, who I just saw on, I just saw on Instagram this morning and this, happened a couple of days ago, I guess. You know, he was talking about the way the game has changed and the way the players have changed. I've heard this speech before more than once. I've heard it from him. But I remember one day he said to me, and I've probably told this story before, so just bear with me if I have. One day we were uh, we were going to do an interview, and you know, sometimes I would ask him things before we started or after we were done, uh, things that I'd didn't need to be a part of the interview, but I wanted to know the answer to anyway. And one day we were talking about players and their quest for knowledge. Let's put it that way. Because he said to me, he goes, you know, these guys all want to know why. They want to know why. Why am I not playing? Why am I playing on the third line? Why am I? And I said, you know, Torts, you have to understand, in today's world, for these players, the age that they're at, said the answer to every question in the world is in the palm of their hand with their phone. And we all do it. What do you do if you're having a discussion and you don't know the answer to a question? Like uh, we were having a, a discussion about the name of an actor and nobody could think of the guy's name. And so somebody just went on their phone and went, oh, there it is, right? The answer to every question is in the palm of your hand. So, of course, they want to know. You've got to tell them. 
It's not the old days. Look, when I was growing up and I was playing team sports, the coach told you what to do, and you didn't question it. You just did it, or you didn't do it. If it was sit down and be quiet, it was sit down and be quiet. You did it or you didn't do it. Today, it's not like that. And sometimes it's infuriating for people like me, right? But I've, I've finally, smartly enough, realized it. Just tell them why. Just tell them exactly why. I went through this with a with a coach when I was coaching baseball, and he was he was old school, and uh, we were going to move a hitter down from the leadoff spot. And, and I said to him, well, you got to tell him why. And, I mean, this kid in particular was a really nice kid, but he's one of those kids that was quiet, and and I knew that if if you didn't explain it to him, he was one that would just internalize it, be upset, think he was failing at something, and get worried about it, and actually would would be, you know, he could be potentially worse. He was just kind of in a slump. I said, you just got to tell him. And um, and we did. I went to him and, and said, listen, I'm going to move you down because I want to get you where you're going to get some more fastballs and you can get your timing back and you can knock some runs in and you'll be on base and you can steal some bases and stuff. And, and uh, yeah, a couple of games like that, and then he got right back to where he was. But communication. So, again, for a general manager – the people skills to me and the communication skills are going to be key. I, I think you you have to have that. So that's what I think is important, Chris. Daniel says, what are your thoughts on Andrew Peak? I like his Scott, his size and his skill. He could fill in permanently for Provorov, right? Well, no. And I'll tell you why I say no to that. Uh, Provorov's a left-hand shot and Peak is a right-hand shot. Now, if he could make that transition and play on the other side, then I would answer yes. But so far, uh, that has been a challenge for him. Um, you know, they tried to do it with him a little bit last year, and I think he got screwed last year, to be honest with you. They put him on the left side, and he struggled. Now, remember, this is coming off a year prior where he was playing with Zach Wierenski on the top pair because of injuries and, you know, there was uh, – Little other choice, but he performed okay there. He's not a top pair guy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not promoting him for that. But can he play in the top six? Absolutely. Yes, he can. It, to me, he's probably a, a just would be a really good third pair right shot defenseman. That's what I think. Okay, blocks shots, tries hard, all that stuff. But he was playing on the top pair, so now they move him from the right side to the left side, and he struggles for a couple of games. And then he gets healthy scratched. And so when I say he got screwed, that's I, I think that's not fair. Because now you're asking me to do something I don't normally do, and now I'm getting punished because I didn't do it well. You know, That's like if you're a plumber and they say, hey, come here and be an electrician just for a day or two. Ah, well, you stunk at that, so now don't do anything. You know what I mean? It, you took me out of my regular job and put me over here. I struggled, and, and now, I'm, now I'm in trouble for it. But anyway... So he's not he's not a uh, replacement for a Provorov because of him being a right shot. But could he be uh, could he be a top six guy? Absolutely, can be a top six guy. And I've I've said about him before. If they can't figure out how to make it work here for him, um, he's a good player. He's a he's a good teammate, and he should get an opportunity to go somewhere where he gets a chance to play and help somebody. If if he's not going to have that opportunity here, I'd like to see him get a chance to do it somewhere else. Let's go back to X Spaces and talk with Lester. Hello, Lester. 
How are you today, Bob? I'm great here in rainy Southern California. Well, you missed a lot of snow here, so I, I'd rather take the rain. Uh, hey, if you think I didn't hear about how much snow there was back there, you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure your wife gave you an earful. I am told it always snows when I leave. I don't think well, that's okay. true, but it's happened enough where I guess I have no case. But anyway. That's one of the perks of the job. Yeah. Uh, to kind of echo what you said, yeah, when, when Yarmo took over the team, the cupboard wasn't bare. He had Savard, he had Johansson, he had Calvert, he had Atkinson, he had Jack Johnson, he had Felino, he had Bobrovsky. He added to that, he went out and drafted Wierenski, Bjorkstrand, Josh Anderson. He traded for Panarin and Seth Jones, and he constructed a team that would make five playoff appearances in seven years, including four in a row, as we all know. And I really do believe in 2019 he had a team good enough to win it all. There was one moment in those playoffs, though, that cost them, and that was game one of the Boston series. They went into the third period down one nothing. They get two goals nine seconds apart. They're holding a two-to-one lead late, and then with about three minutes left in that game, Boston got an odd man rush, and Charlie McAvoy scored. Now, I'm not blaming Bobrovsky, so don't hear what I'm not saying, but if he'd been able to make that save and they'd have hung on and won that game in regulation – the Blue Jackets won the next two games. They would have been up three games to none, and that series, for all intents and purposes, would have been over. And I think they would have at least gone all the way to the finals. And of all the goals that have ever been scored against the Blue Jackets, that's the one that haunts me the most because that's the one that I will always ask, what if? Yeah. So so the team eventually got older. He had to start tearing it down. And here's where I think the train jumps the tracks. When Tortorella left... He did not get the right coaching hire. He supposedly had this exhaustive search, and we got a Lars Bar. And they gave us all these reasons why he was the best choice. But about 21 minutes, months later, he was out the door. Another thing that hurt them is uh, I wasn't really sure what the direction was that they were going. Were they doing a, a just level the whole shebang and do a build from the ground up kind of rebuild? Or were they trying to, to rebuild on the fly and stay competitive? That latter idea isn't a good one because if you're trying to stay competitive, you're finishing high enough in the standings that you're not in a position to get the elite picks in the draft that you really need to do a rebuild. And they got stung, and I mentioned this to you about a month ago, the first year of the so-called rebuild, they put up an 81-point season. And most of that was on the backs of, of four players at the top of the roster. Voracek, who was a veteran who had a, a monster year for us. Um, Oliver Bjorkstrand was 57 points. Uh, Gus Nyquist, who had missed the entire season the year before, played in every game, had a 53-point season. And then Patrick Laine had 55 points in 58 games, practically a point a game. And this team looked way better than it was. And then the Johnny Gaudreau opportunity comes along, which I'm really on the fence with Gaudreau. Uh, I can see where you would want to have him uh, because, you know, when a guy that good wants to come play in Columbus and the narrative is nobody wanted to be there, I think you have to sign him. But at the same time, he didn't really fit the level of the whole thing and rebuild from the ground up. And so what they wound up doing was what I think they should have done now in hindsight, and I certainly didn't say this two years ago, Voracek and Nyquist were having monster seasons. They should have traded both those guys away for a boatload of assets. That's what they should have done because to try and rebuild on the fly was not a good idea. And if they had done that, like I said, they would have gotten a lot. A year later, they wound up having to trade them both. They were both hurt, and they got next to nothing. They got John Gillies in a fifth-round draft pick. 
So in hindsight, that's really what he should have done. And like I said, I didn't think about it then. I certainly wasn't saying that then. But now I can see looking back two years, that's what they really should have done. And so they started playing really to the level they should have been playing the last two years. They had a lot of youth. They've had a lot of mistakes. And uh, I don't know. I don't hold the whole um, Mike Babcock thing against him. When they hired him, I saw a lot of John Davidson, you know, barking how, yeah, I talked to Ken Hitchcock and I talked to Rick Nash and we just think he's the right guy. And Yarmo was basically a cheerleader. And then when that whole thing came crashing down, Yarmo had to kind of sit there and he was left holding the bag in that mess. But uh, I don't really know that that's totally his fault. I think other people in the front office were just as guilty for that hire. Yeah, you know, to go back to the Gaudreau thing, it, it is kind of funny that when the top free agent becomes available and you would think that that is going to make you better, but I, I think you're right. You, you can't pass on Johnny Gaudreau. Once he says he wants to come here, you can't say no because of, uh, you know, the guys that you've lost and the way that you've lost some guys and all that. But, yeah, I just wonder if that – not wonder. I, I think it, to some extent it put a monkey wrench – into the plan. It kind of changed the plan. Uh, maybe not derailed it, but it changed it enough that now you're scrambling to try to to uh, fit things in, and they just haven't fit. And, you know, to go back to Voracek, you know, yeah, the hindsight 2020 on that is, yeah, maybe that's exactly what they should have done. But I think what they lost in Jake Voracek more than just a player who was having a monster season and that type of veteran leadership, that they don't have now. And, you know, Jake is a fun guy, and he's a smart guy. And I, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was watching uh, – well, actually, this morning, I was watching the clips of uh, Yarmir Yager's jersey retirement, and and I was listening to his speech and, and the way that he spoke and the things that he said and then reading the stories about how he was as a young player and, and how he is now, and he's matured. And that's where Jake was. I, I think Jake was such a, a big asset for this team and for the young guys and – and when they lost him, uh, and and so to go back to what you said, I I would be hesitant to trade him because of those intangibles that he brought. But when it was all said and done, when they lost him because of the concussion, and then had to trade his rights away, um, that that created a a hole that I think is uh, is bigger than I realized at the time. Yeah, well, and again, I understand what you're saying, but the reality was he was 33 years old yeah. two years ago, and he only had two years left on his contract. I mean, you were not going to have him there forever. And what's kind of funny, when the Maple Leafs were in town back in December, those that twice in, in one week, I talked to a lot of their fans, and I, I kind of was picking their brain. Why do you think the Leafs don't have more success than they do? And they all kind of had the same answer. They said, there are certain kind of guys that aren't in the league anymore that bring certain intangibles, like what you're talking about with Voracek. They said, you don't have guys like Landon McDonald or Doug Gilmore anymore. They're just not there. It isn't like you can go out and find them. They're just not there. And, and in a lot, a lot of ways, I really see what they're saying. Yes, and I, I'll, I'll take it a step further. I was thinking about this the other day. They are just really disappearing and they're disappearing fast and that is it makes me sad because those types of players are ones that uh have really contributed to teams that have won championships and you know you can see it now i think to me boone jenner and zach waranski are two guys that um you know they they came in here with uh, the felinos and all those guys you know now you know now it's on them now they've got to be that kind of a leader and uh, because these young guys it's just all different now it's just the way they 
the things they do, the way they entertain themselves and, and everything, it's completely 100% different. So you're right. You, you go look for those guys, and you're going to be hard-pressed to find them. Why do you think so many teams would love to have Boone Jenner right now? Yeah, absolutely. And there again, you're getting back into the narrative of they should have moved Nyquist and Voracek way back then. I understand the argument on both ends, the keep Boone Jenner and the get rid of Boone Jenner, but there is a little bit of a difference here. Jenner's a few years younger than Nyquist and Voracek were a couple of years ago, and I think he's still viable for a few more years. I don't know if the Blue Jackets could make the playoffs two years from now. I hope they're good enough to do that. But if they are good enough to do that, they're going to need a guy like Jenner if that should come about yeah I agree with you I agree with you 100% on that and and you're right you can look at it one of two ways you could say boy what a haul you might be able to get for Boone Jenner but you know sometimes look at what you're going to lose um and, and like you said if you if you feel you're four years out from realistically going to the playoffs and being a challenger then that's that's one conversation but if you think you're going to get there in the next two yeah it's totally different uh, wouldn't even think about giving up that guy yeah, I want to say one last thing and yeah. get out of here because you're not getting paid for this hour. So, you know, I get paid but, for uh, every hour. Come on. All righty. Tomorrow is the 44th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. I'll talk about it more next week. But I'm going to tell you, if that game doesn't happen, the Columbus Blue Jackets don't ever happen. Yeah. The, the, the reverberation of that game and what it meant, I don't know that people at times fully understand it. But about once a month, I'll get on YouTube and watch the third period of that game all over again. And it never gets old for me. It's just such an incredible thing to watch. But what it did for hockey in this country that the NHL and two networks trying to promote it could not do was an absolutely incredible thing because that game was the first time Americans just weren't getting hockey. They were trying to expand the league. They were having trouble keeping leagues in the city or teams in the city where they put them. Franchises were, were failing or they were teetering. And they didn't have a national television contract for five years leading up to that game. I mean, there was no hockey on TV. It was persona non grata. But when people watched that game, that was the first time ever that they watched hockey with excitement and emotion. And the emotion thing was important because once you become emotionally attached to something, you're always attached to it. And that was the thing that finally got Americans to understand hockey. And from there, they got a big contract from ESPN. Ten years later, they started expanding the league, and the league is on stable ground today because of all that. And not only on stable ground, but as you mentioned, the Blue Jackets don't exist. I'll tell you, the Arizona Coyotes certainly don't exist. And well, and where do you get a guy like Austin Matthews if you don't have the Arizona Coyotes, right? I mean, the, what, the, the residual effects was like, like we're here in Southern California. Like You look at Thatcher Demko, who's a goaltending in uh, Vancouver. He's a San Diego kid, right? You would have never thought that at that point in time back in 1980 that that would happen. Absolutely not. You would have never thought it. One other thing that had a big impact on the Blue Jackets' uh, fortunes or, or their existence was when the World Hockey Association folded in 1979, they were down to six teams, and one of those teams was the Cincinnati Stingers, and the Stingers did not get absorbed in the NHL, and the reason why is because the NHL wanted a $3 million entrance fee from the teams coming in from the WHA, and Cincinnati didn't have it. Had they had it, they would have been brought into the league, and I doubt we'd have the columbus blue jackets because you'd have those two franchises too close together right three million bucks that's what they wanted that's all they wanted they uh could you imagine that like well today's prices it's probably a billion and a half but i mean it's to think about that you think vegas uh, or seattle paid 600 million would vegas paid 500 million these 
They couldn't come up with three million bucks. No, they couldn't. That, matter of fact, they, they they brought in the Quebec Nordiques, the Edmonton Oilers, the Winnipeg Jets, and the Hartford Whalers. They had the money. Again, the WHA had no television contract either. I mean, I live here in central Ohio, and the Cincinnati Stingers TV contract was all of four games. Hmm. That's it. Wow. And so they didn't have the money. They didn't have the $3 million. So the two teams that were left over, the Birmingham Barons and Cincinnati Stingers, who both drew very well. They had good fan attendance. They were both given a million dollars to just go away and don't sue us. <laughs> uh, that's very interesting. If they could have got yeah. thrown out of two more leagues, they would have had their $3 million bucks to go to the NHL. Bob, the conversation you and I could have if we had a couple of hours, I'll uh, tell you. Yeah, a couple of hours, a couple of beers. We could have a really good conversation. Yeah. All right, we'll talk to you next week. All right, Lester, thanks. Appreciate it. Oh, good talk today, right? Good, a lot of, lot of things. A lot of things. Outdoor game next March 25th at Nationwide, or, yeah, Nationwide Arena, at Ohio Stadium. What is wrong with me? Actually, a lot of things, quite frankly, a lot of things. Um, where do I want to go here? Uh, I'm talking about the South Door game, and I want to give you the the information on how you can get set up for that. Uh, where is it? I know I have it here. I know I have it. Uh, anyway, uh, here. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. So, the outdoor game, Stadium Series. It's going to be at Ohio Stadium. It's uh, March 1st. 2025 Blue Jackets, Detroit Red Wings. Uh, you can sign up for guaranteed priority ticket access information by going to bluejackets.com slash outdoor. Bluejackets.com slash outdoor is where you can find everything you need to know. Hopefully, everything you need to know. And if you don't find it there, you just ask me and I'll find it for you. Very simple. So, a big week coming up for the Blue Jackets. We've got the game uh, tomorrow night. Here in Los Angeles, we'll take on the Kings. That is a 10.30 start back in Columbus. Pre-game coverage starting at 10 o'clock. And then on Wednesday night, we'll be in Anaheim. And that is a 10 o'clock start back in Columbus for that one. And uh, pre-game coverage starts at 9.30. And then the Blue Jackets will fly home on Thursday. Buffalo Sabres are in town Friday night. And <laughs> I'm just laughing because I was looking at it. I pulled up the schedule on my phone. And I looked at, it says uh, Buffalo, 4 o'clock. And for a second there, I went, what? What? Why would we play at 4 o'clock on a Friday? Yeah, well, I'm in the Pacific time zone. So, of course, 7 o'clock Friday night, the Blue Jackets take on the Buffalo Sabres. And then they'll take on the New York Rangers at 6 o'clock on Sunday. So, it's really busy. It's going to get it's going to get busy quickly here for the Blue Jackets um, starting tomorrow then come home and and we're going into the last week of February. Can you believe it? I can't. I cannot believe it. February is almost gone. The month of March is busy as can be. And as you say at the beginning of the season, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Well, when you get to the latter part of February and early March, it's a sprint, not a marathon. So that's what uh, we've got going on here uh, over these next couple of days. Well, it looks like i got one more, one more request to come on the show here. So why not? Why not? Let's do it. Sean would like to be a part of this Blue Jackets Monday mailbag. Hello, Sean. How are you? Doing great, Bob. Thank you so much for um, taking the time to do this. Sure. Um, I would love your perspective on something because you've uh, you've certainly been around the Blue Jackets for a long time. This just seems to me 
with everything come together, first time playing an outdoor hockey game in front of a national audience, all this young core, young players that are from a new generation of players. We're going to have a new um, color TV guy next year with Rimmer uh, retiring. Um, It just seems like this team needs a complete marketing reboot. Something, a new jersey, uh, a co-host in the arena, something to just kind of get the. This seems like there's for the first time in forever, well, a new GM coming in too. Forgot about that. All these things coming together, where there's this new wave, this new momentum, this new energy. That even though this has been a terrible year in the standings, I'm fully invested because I truly believe that this team in three to five years down the road is going to be an absolute nightmare for a lot of teams to play against. Um, and I truly, truly believe that. But there needs to be something. Like, Bob, I, he, he's, he's, he's a co-worker of yours. He's a colleague of yours. I know you have respect for him. You guys have worked a long time together. But Mike Todd has been doing his job for 20 years. You know what I mean? Like, 20 years. Every time I go to the game, it's the same thing. It's the same pizza toss. It's the same cannon. It's the same, uh, uh, you know, T-shirt cannon thing, whatever. It's just there needs to be a new imagination, a new idea of how we can present hockey to fans in Central Ohio because the 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 Buckeyes are have an absolute monstrosity of a team next year. They're going to be absolute dynamite. The crew is winning championships left and right. There needs to be something like, oh, did you see the new Blue Jackets jersey? Oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I like the new color scheme. There needs to be something, Bob. Am I the only one who feels this way? Well, they're going to get a jersey because they're going to have one for an outdoor game. So that at right, the very fair least, enough. That's I mean, like, I mean, no, no, I know fair enough. Let's, yeah. Let yeah. me ask you this: How many games do you go to a year? Probably about fifteen to twenty. And I ask you that because um, I find myself I go through this sometimes. I I sit there and I think, oh, this again or that again, or I've seen this before. I saw, I've seen that before, but you know, there are so many people that like I'm there every day. So things that. Right become repetitive to me are new to other people. You know what I mean? I absolutely, I absolutely get that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's why I asked you that. But, um, I mean, it's there. Look, I do love Mike Todd. He's a total pro. He's a complete pro in what he does. He does his job well. Um, and I like that, but that being said, um, you know, with, it, it is never a bad thing in life to present new ideas, whether they happen or not is, you know, that, that's a different discussion, but it's it's always good to present new ideas and try to think of new ways to do things. So you have a uh, you have a fair argument, and I know this team. Every summer they get together and they they look at what they did and uh, how can we do it better, how can we do it different. So uh, again, you know, you've said it out here. It's going to be it, it's in the uh, it'll be in the realm. And uh, well, Bob, if I if I if I might be so bold, yeah. if I could do a sh- if I could do a shameless plug, if there's any season ticket holders who are uh, listening to this and your you know season ticket rep calls you at the end of the year emails you with some sort of review or some sort of questionnaire put something in there about changing the game experience i understand that you know you know if, if, if you go to a game once a year yeah it's a great thing it's fantastic but to have the same in arena co-host for going on three decades it's just it's, it's at a point where but sean you know there are a lot of teams in this league that have the same people in place, and they've been there for a long time. Um, is this this is also a byproduct of not winning? Because if this team was in first place, you're probably not calling me with this, right? Um, I mean, 
Come maybe, on. maybe not. Come I mean, on. Yeah, of no, course. Yeah, of course. No, no of course. I'm, I'm not going to be sheepish. Like, yeah, if you're, if you're the best team in hockey, you're going to find fewer things to complain about. That's just an absolute fact. But it's also a fact that you have to reimagine your business. Sometimes you have to reinvent yourself. Sometimes you have to change the product to keep yourself relevant because you're in a town now that has really good teams. You know, you're not the only show in town. You can make the argument you're the third show in town. So, you know, it's just something where, again, something has got to give. I mean, a new scoreboard, something to just change the way that we present hockey to fans here in Central Ohio because I think the fans deserve it. They've been loyal. They've been, we get 17,000 people to come on a random night to watch the uh, hockey team play. They should be rewarded with not only good on ice experience, but off ice, you know, how they interact and everything. So, anyway. I think, uh, okay, and I'm glad you said scoreboard because I think in the next uh, couple of years, and I don't want to put a number on it because I'm not the guy to ask, I don't know, but I, I think that is, that, that's got to be time. I mean, this one has been here since I think the All Star game in 2015. So um, that's something, and I think, I will say this, the sound system in that building I would like to see upgraded because, yes. it's, uh, you know, yes. you go, I go other places, yeah. and it's it's massively different, massively different in other buildings. And, and I know that's something that's been talked about, and, you know, these things, they, they cost a lot of money, and it, it's a process no, right. of getting it through and getting it done. But, you know, when you talk about a game experience, that's one thing. Those two things, a scoreboard and, and a sound system, changes a lot of stuff in and of itself um no i i i completely agree and i'm i'm still gonna go to games you know i'm not yeah, i I'm know not I, I know i know i i i totally understand i i get it and and you're right about reimagining things and again the, the people that do it they uh they talk about it all the time and and i talk to them so look we'll talk about it see what gifts how's that perfect can I, can ask more of you bob thank you so much all right thank you sean thanks for being on the show today I appreciate it. Yeah, it, it but it it does and I'm I'm not knocking Sean. He has every right to to say what he says and think what he thinks and all that stuff, but when when you're winning, none of this other stuff matters. The stuff around the edges doesn't matter. You know, the, the you focus on the edges when the middle is no good. Um so if the middle was really really good and you could everything else just becomes noise and that's what that's what John Davidson said the other day, just noise. Just noise. But it's true. It's absolutely true. So that's why this team now will get a general manager to get on back on track to getting to where they want to be when it comes to wins and losses and all of that stuff. So thanks to all of you for being on the show today, whether you were on live with me on X Spaces or whether you just uh, sent me your question on X, which you can do at any time, at Bobby Mac Sports is where you can find it. So it is all just as simple as that. Blue Jackets in the Los Angeles Kings tomorrow night, 10.30 face-off in Columbus, 10 o'clock pregame show on the Blue Jackets Radio Network and on Bally Sports. And then on Wednesday in Anaheim, that one's a 10 o'clock face-off pregame coverage starting at 9.30. That's going to do it for this edition of the CBJ Monday Mailbag. That's right. I'm Bob McElligot. So long.